0: Well, if you have a Bible, please grab it and make your way to Matthew chapter 5, whether you've got a paper copy or a digital copy or you're at home, uh, grab a Bible and, and open it up and join us in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, many of you have probably heard the phrase um, that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's a pretty common proverb, just not, not in the book of Proverbs, but just here in America. The, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And it's become a popular proverb because it's, it's true so often. What we're really getting at is like, what is going on in our hearts? And that's exactly what the next six little sections of the Sermon on the Mount are all about. Not the next six sermons, but the next six sec- sections really all deal with this matter of the heart. And so, as we've been going through this series... Through the Sermon on the Mount, we're calling it Vintage Christianity because it's really kind of like the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. Because as we saw in the testimonies earlier, once you make the decision to trust Jesus, to follow Him, that truly means you follow Him. And so ever increasingly throughout your life, your life should be becoming more and more like Christ, following Him. And so, what Jesus is doing here by the time we come to our section today in verse 21 is he's really unpacking the heart of the law, the heart of the Old Testament law, that it's not just about the external, but it's also about the internal. That it's not just about like the letter of the law, let me do exactly, but also the spirit of the law. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, it's about our hearts. And so these next six sections are where Jesus is correcting the perversion that scribes and Pharisees had made of the wall. Because notice how each one of these six sections look begins. Look, look at it with me. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Verse 27, you have heard Heard that it was said, verse 31. It was also said, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, and in verse 43, you have heard that it was said. And then he gives, you know, a statement after each one of those. Now, whenever you come to the Bible and you're reading through, whenever Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he always says uh, it was it is written or it has been written. But that's not what he says here. And the reason is because he is not questioning like the written word of God here. Rather, what he is calling out is the perversion that the scribes and the Pharisees have made of it. What they have said about the law. So like last week when we looked at, he says, you know, not a jot or a tittle, not a yod or a seraph is going to pass away from the law until all has been accomplished because it's true it's inerrant but he's absolutely calling out what the rabbis and the pharisees said about it he's correcting the perversion that they have made of the law and here's why they had said that the law was only about the external it's only about like what you do not necessarily what you think and jesus comes saying no 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 Attitude is important as well. It's not just about you know, whether you murder someone or not, but how do you think about individuals? How do you think about people? Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And the matter of the heart that we are going to be talking about this morning is anger. Anger anger. And the Bible has a lot to say about anger. It's just we normally ignore it. And we treat anger almost as like kind of a respectable sin. It's okay. If you have anger a matter of fact, we we I mean, we kind of love it. Like because it's reflected in our media, it's reflected by our leaders, we love to see people get angry. fired up. I mean, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, just observation, fear and anger is the name of the game today. Nobody debates policies and ideas. It's just fear those people. Be angry at those people and vote that way. Ads are all about that. Outrage. But that's not how a follower of Christ is to live. We're not to live based upon fear and anger. We're to live based upon grace and love and truth. And so since we are so, since I am so prone to downplay anger when I come to it in Scripture, let me just read a sampling of what Scripture actually says on the topic. Psalm 37, verse 8. Refrain from anger. And give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Proverbs 14 29, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Proverbs 15:1 1 is one we all need to memorize. A gentle answer turns away anger but a harsh word stirs up wrath a gentle answer turns away anger but harsh words stir up wrath proverbs 22:24 don't make friends with an angry person and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one proverbs 29:11 a fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise person holds it in check. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Colossians 3, 8, But now, on the basis of being a follower of Jesus, you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. James 1, 19-21, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And then here in verse 21, and we have before us this morning, again, taking the external teaching and saying, no, 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 it's about the internal as well. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so verse 22 is a super strong statement. Jesus is purposefully stating things to the extreme to make clear that the expectations and standards of the kingdom of God are not those of the world. It sh- we should look different. We should not fight fire with fire. Those people are angry, therefore I shall be angry. That is, we don't retaliate. That is not how Christians play the game. Jesus says that contentious or unrighteous anger is such a big deal. We downplay it. Jesus says, I'll send you to hell for it. Obviously we can be forgiven of our sins, praise God, Right? But we need to recognize unrighteous anger is a big deal. So if you think like, you know, what's the big deal about my anger issue? What's the big deal? I got a bit of a quick temper, you know, I get hot. Jesus is saying it's a big deal. The way you interact with folks is a big deal. The way you come across to people in the office place is a big deal. The way way you come across to people in social media is a big deal. And so number one in your notes, just write that very thing. Unrighteous anger is a big deal to Jesus. Unrighteous anger is a big deal to Jesus. Okay, it's a big deal. All over Scripture you see this. And no doubt you notice I said unrighteous anger because that qualifier does need to be in there. Now, I wonder if we can even, we as sinners can even have righteous anger. I think it could begin that way and quickly it's going to turn unrighteous. But truly, there is a righteous anger that exists. I mean, Jesus had that, right? Jesus had righteous anger. You see him throw out the money changers in the temple because their tactics were keeping Gentiles from being able to pray, as well as lining their own pockets with uh, the money practices they were car- carrying out, you see him get angry at hypocrites. You see him even grow exasperated at his own disciples. But think about the nature of Jesus's anger. Think through it. It's drastically different than ours, I would guess. Jesus's anger, like, first of all, he was slow to anger not quick even righteous anger and his anger was always mingled with grief over sin over sins like hypocrisy over the sins of injustice like when the lady was about to be stoned willful misunderstanding or fruitless Or unbelief. Unlike us, here's the deal Jesus' anger was never about personal mistreatment, it was always about how others were being mistreated. I mean, think about the cross. When he goes to the cross, he's beaten, he's spat upon. I mean, all this is manufactured. He dies on the cross. And Peter tells us, never once does he retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He never had his personal ego wrapped up in his anger. Instead, what he cries out from the cross through parched lips, is, father forgive him they know not which the, they know not what they do. And so Jesus became angry for the sake of others, meaning that there is an anger that is loving, okay, that exists that wishes no one any evil, it loves the sinner but hates the sin, but our anger, if we are honest, is typically the opposite. We burn with indignation and anger Not at sin, not at injustice, but at offense to ourselves and our idols. That's when we burn with anger. I mean, I guarantee some of y'all were screaming at the TV yesterday when a bad call was made. When it harms your team, right? That's a small fry. But then just interpersonal relationships, we become offended at minor snubs, at tiny little acts of disrespect, even accidental ones. And sometimes we'll even bail on relationships with people over some slight that someone perhaps didn't even know they did or meant to do. And we rage at people who cut us off in traffic. We're not concerned, actually, about they might cause a wreck. It's that they might cause me to wreck. They do it over there, fine. But in front of me, ugh! Right? We are often so quick to anger at personal offenses. But we're slow to anger over sin and injustice that offends God and mankind. We have the opposite... We are the opposite of Jesus in this regard. And so righteous anger has a place. The pastor, John, put his PhD cap on and said a great quote this week. We, we always discuss the passage. We do this as a, as a staff. And we were just talking about things, and he was like, you can be right and it still not be righteous anger. You you can be right about something and absolutely exist in unrighteous anger. You can be right and extremely unrighteously angry and Jesus says it's a big deal. Like murder level big deal. Unrighteous anger is a big, big deal. Because again, Jesus is calling us to a live with a righteousness that is more than skin deep that 's the whole point that like that 's what the Pharisees and the rabbis it 's just all about external it 's just all about skin deep like if you look back at verse twenty last week we went through you know Jesus and the Old Testament law, and we had four points, and the fourth point was that the Old Testament law is focused on the heart and so out of verse twenty is where we talked about that, so look at verse twenty with me again, for I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven namely the scribes and Pharisees only had an external righteousness which is really no righteousness at all it wasn't internal they just did the deed they did not like live it and love it and Jesus is driving at the internal we are to have an internal righteousness Something that goes beyond just skin level. And so he's saying, look, it's not okay to just, like, not murder. That's not enough. You're not to just sit there, oh, I didn't murder them, but I seethe with anger, and I hope somebody does. Malice and hypocrisy. All the cousins, malice, hypocrisy, wrath, hatred, hostility, all those are also condemned by Jesus. We are not to live with those. And Jesus also condemns insulting others, devaluing someone. When you do that, you're devaluing God because that person is made in the image of God. And one of the ways we see this devaluing and this insulting probably most prevalently in our culture right now is both by the cancel culture that exists. You know, person did all these good things, they did one thing bad, so forget them right? But then also character assassination. You see that all over the place, right? You're about to see it this week with the Supreme Court Justice. That poor lady is about to get raked over the coals, but it's not a one-sided thing. Everybody does this. Everybody attacks people's, like, assassinate people's character, both sides, for their own purposes, And so one side will wrongly assassinate the character of one person and then the other side will wrongly assassinate the character of another person. But listen, it is always right to do what's right and it's always wrong to do what's wrong no matter who's doing it. It doesn't change what's right because it's this guy, oh, you did it, it's wrong. No, 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 no. The Bible, It's flat. The ends do not justify the means. You don't find that in Scripture. Yeah. I had to make sure I had that right. I was like, wait, did I get that (laughs) wrong? Now, this doesn't mean we don't make judgment calls about someone's character, right? I mean, Jesus even calls people, he talks about, you fool. Jesus certainly says, that person is a fool. Like, he does that. And so we're not, it's not, you know, that we can never make a judgment call about people's character. There are people who are fools. If you look in the mirror, you'll see one. But what Jesus is getting after here is deliberate belittling of someone's character, their, their person, listen, because of animosity in your own heart, your anger, that maybe even began with a, a righteous thing, but that fast we go unrighteous. And so as Christians, we don't play the games of the world where we pick a side and then we assassinate the character of everyone else who's on the other side as either insane or sheer evil. We don't play that game. That's the world's game. We don't do that. We don't assassinate someone's character. We don't get angry in our heart. That's not a marker of a kingdom citizen. Kent Hughes puts it, Our words are an index of our true spiritual condition. Our words are an index of our true spiritual condition. And so what do your words that you whisper in the break room at the office... In anger, say about your spiritual condition? What do your words that you post on social media say about your spiritual condition? Does it reflect the character of Christ? Would Jesus say that? Would you feel good typing it out in front of Jesus on Judgment Day? And this doesn't mean we skim over or condone someone's sin, but we remember God loves them. And therefore, we do not devalue them in our anger. And the anger we're not to have. There's a... There was a great preacher in Edinburgh, his name uh, was Alexander Witt, and I want to be him in one sense. People often would warn people who were going to visit him, they'd be hey, be, be warned about Witt because his geese turn into swines." And what they meant by that is he had a way of seeing the best in someone and helping to draw it out. That is who I want to be. I want to go through this life as someone who sees geese as swans. That's way better than going through and seeing swans as geese. Which one would be more a describer of you? unrighteous anger always being angry always seeing the worst that's not where we're supposed to be unrighteous anger is a big deal and so getting after you know Jesus is really trying to get after the spirit of the wall and not just the letter of the wall and so he says listen it's not just about murder it's also about anger and your heart right But then in verses 23 through 26, he goes even further and says, it's also not just about, like, don't be angry. It's also, like, we must pursue reconciliation. We must pursue peacemaking. And so number two in your notes then, right? Pursuing reconciliation is a non-negotiable for Jesus. Jesus. Pursuing reconciliation is a non-negotiable for Jesus. And so if number one is unrighteous anger is a big deal to Jesus, number two, pursuing reconciliation is a non-negotiable for Jesus. And through two illustrations that he gives, two illustrations, he highlights both the necessity of reconciliation and the urgency of reconciliation. So we at verse 23. So he just laid out, hey, not only not murder, but also anger is a big deal. And so, verse 23, he gives this illustration. First one. So, if you are offering, and it's an application, right? So, here we go. Here's how you apply this. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. That's the necessity of it. Jesus lays out the necessity, and now he lays out the urgency. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so again, Jesus is is not just saying, hey, don't be angry, but he's saying also, my followers should be marked by the things that mark my life, namely, reconciliation. Jesus went to great lengths to reconcile us to himself. The eternal Son of God left the glories of heaven condescended to this earth, was born, Christmas time's coming, in a stable. It laid in a manger. He grew up walking dusty streets, had to go to Egypt you know, and flee for a while, came back to Nazareth, lived, was persecuted towards, you know, towards the end of his life, and ultimately was crucified. He went to extreme lengths to reconcile you and I to Him. And we are to be marked by the same. It's not just that, like the negative, don't be angry, but that also highlights the positive, therefore do be reconciled with those that you have had an issue with. And Verse 23 highlights the necessity of it. Because the picture he gives is of a faithful Jew, you know, coming and following the Old Testament law and bringing his offering to the altar and in the middle of his praise and prayer, he's sitting there and it dawns on him, wow, God has been so good and he's been so gracious to me. Shouldn't I be likewise to my brother? And then he remembers, so and, so and so and I have, we're not on speaking terms. There's something that he blames me for. And notice that the, the, the question of, in verse 23, the question of who's at fault is not answered here because it's irrelevant. Jesus is not telling us, like, who's at fault. Jesus doesn't like single out the guilty party and insist, hey, you, the guilty one, you need to take the initiative. No, he lays the responsibility to make the first move on both of them, regardless of who is mostly to blame. Friends, don't just sit there and think, oh, if that person, I'm not, they better, they need to come to me. If you got beef, go to them as well. I mean, Jesus right here is very much like parents, is he not? I don't care who started it. Right? I say that all the time. But you need to work it out. And as the illustration points out, even if that means you need to leave the worship service and go be reconciled to somebody, now Jesus is not obviously he's not saying that the only important thing in worship is your relationship with others. Obviously, Jesus knows that the primary relationship that we need to be worried about when we come into worship is a relationship with the Father, but who we like we bring how we interact with others into this place. And what we are before God involves how we're related to others. If we are at enmity with others, how can we come into the Lord's presence with a clean hand and pure hearts? Do the plurals on the other nouns. Clean hands and pure heart. Danny Aiken, the president of my seminary that I went to, says, It is absolute hypocrisy to say you are good with God when you're not good with others. Even if you are not the angry or offended party, if you know there's a problem, Jesus says to seek to resolve it. Now, it may not be possible. It only takes one person, though, to forgive. It only takes one person, though, to seek reconciliation, but it does absolutely take two to make it happen. But you can seek it. And Jesus says to do so urgently. Look at verse 25 again. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. All right? Quickly. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there may be some level of wisdom here for literal court cases and seeking to settle things quickly, but that's not the point Jesus is making at all. Contextually, that's not what he's talking about. Rather, he's giving us a second illustration here to drive home the principle of the urgency of reconciling. Like this is how those who have righteousness deeper than skin, this is this is reflective of righteous relationships. He's saying reconcile quickly. Like do it A-S-A-P. If you don't, it only becomes harder. I mean, how many of us in our own personal relationships are people you know, people got Sideways about a small thing, they did not deal with it, and it becomes this big thing that people don't talk for years over. What if they just talked? I mean, Hatfield and McCoy's, you guys know what started that whole thing? One family accused the other family of stealing a hog. Now, what if they had talked about it instead of seething in anger and this family amongst themselves and anyone who would listen absolutely assassinating the character of this family and this family doing the same thing against this family and anger boiling up to the point that two, two of the teenagers see one another. They get to taunting back and forth and it begins. One of them gets stabbed 17 times and shot. And then retaliatory killing, and then retaliatory killing, and then retaliatory killing. Until dozens and dozens of family members are dead. Plus other people. All brought about by anger. Friends, personal conflicts can be Often resolved if they're dealt with quickly, but if you just let them listen. Animosity is a time bomb. If you just let it go and go, it is going to explode someday. It is volatile. Deal with conflict. Seek reconciliation. But again, I mean, Romans twelve eighteen. 18. In so far as it depends on you. Seek to live peaceably with all people. You can only do what you can do, but you can do what you need to do. So do it. Seek reconciliation quickly, urgently. And so all of this should then cause us to ask some questions of ourselves. I'll give them to you in the first person so we can apply them to ourselves better. Ask yourself these things. Am I responsible for any grudges that someone has against me? Am I responsible for any grudges someone has against me? Am I responsible for any anger that someone has against me? Like maybe even in my mind, like the they're the problem. Maybe I'll contribute a little bit. Are you responsible for any anger someone has? Are you responsible for any bitterness that someone has against you? You have any are you responsible for any hostility that someone has against you? If the answer is yes, then the command of Christ is do something about it. Do something about it. Again, it's absolute, as they can said, absolute hypocrisy to say you're good with God when you're not good with others. And so even if you are not the offended or the angry, party, if you know there is a problem, Jesus says to seek to resolve it. Because this is reflective of who he is. He reconciles broken people. Even when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. At great cost to himself, he sought reconciliation. Reconciliation. As followers of Christ, we follow both the authority of Jesus, He says do it, and the example of Jesus, He did it. We're called to do the same. We are called to have a new heart. A heart that seeks reconciliation. A heart that seeks peace. Because after all, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Where is your heart? Let's pray. Father, show us where our heart is. And humble us, Lord, to be able to admit wrong, to be able to admit our fault, to be able to admit our sin, It is a hard heart, Lord, that cannot see its sin. Far be it from us to be hard-hearted. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us to follow your word. Not follow the way everybody else does stuff. Father, help us to be honest with our anger. And to wage war on it. And we need your help to do this, Lord. I mean, just reading all of this and talking about all of this, Father, just reminds us of, of the grace we need from you because we, we blow it all the time. And Jesus, you never did. And so, Father, we, we pr- plead for your forgiveness, that you would have mercy on us, and that you would continue to change us. Let us not be content in where we are at in our journey with you and in, in our becoming more and more like you. Help us to be content in you, but not content in our spiritual progress, but to continue letting you chip away, chip away, and at times sledgehammer away, all of our rough edges to craft the image you are making us into, the person you are making us into. So have your own way, O Lord, have thine own way. Change us. So that truly people might see our good deeds and give glory to the Father. So that you might be glorified by our ever-increasing Christ-likeness. And we would be benefited in our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.